podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Monday, March 14th, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network that allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com, use the code router50 to get 50% off at checkout. That's libertyshield.com. And the code router50 to get your router half price and get using and keep that data safe. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Just download that Etsy app onto your phone and get shopping for all your football merchandising needs. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 at the respective stores to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we had nine games in the Premier League this weekend. We have one more tonight. That will be Crystal Palace versus Manchester City, which should be a good game. But let's start Saturday, Brighton nil, Liverpool 2. Fairly comfortable for Liverpool in control of the game for the majority. Brighton had a bright first five minutes in both halves, but didn't really trouble bar one opportunity for Danny Welbeck late on. Liverpool went one up through Luis Diaz, a great ball by Joe Matip. Diaz beat Robert Sanchez to the ball, headed it past him, headed it into the net. And then Sanchez clattered into him, foot and arm, and somehow escaped punishment. It's as blatant a red card as you'll see all season long. And yet somehow he didn't even get a yellow card for it. Very, very strange. But such is life. And given that Liverpool won, I'm not really too put out by it. It may have spoiled the game, and that would have been a shame, but, you know, it is what it is. It should have been a red card. It wasn't. Uh, On 61, Salah made it two. Naby Keita's shot charged down by Yves Basuma, who used his arm to block the shot, which was probably going for a throw-in. And Salah stepped up and smashed it home to give Liverpool a comfortable 2-0 win to condemn Brighton to another defeat that's now five in a row in the Premier League for them. Which is disappointing considering how well they've done up to that point. Now, they did obviously go three months without a win, which is always concerning, but they weren't losing a whole bunch of games. They've lost nine all season. So they'd only lost four games until this current run. Um, they're level on points with Leicester, level on points with Crystal Palace. They've played the same amount of games as Palace. Leicester have played two games less. Newcastle are catching them. They're only two points behind with the same games played. You would hope for Brighton that they'll be able to turn it around and pick up some points between now and the end of the season. But 
they've got some tricky games coming up. They play Tottenham next on Wednesday night. Then they go. To, then they've got Norwich, both at home. Then they go to Arsenal. Then they go to Tottenham. Then they play Southampton at home, Wolves away, Manchester United at home, Leeds away, West Ham at home on the final day. They've also got a fixture with Manchester City that needs to be rescheduled because City are in the FA Cup this coming weekend. So that'll be lumped in there somewhere. It's not an easy last 10. It really is not an easy last 10 games for Brighton. It's a couple of definitely winnable games. You'd look at Norwich, you'd look at Leeds. But the rest is quite difficult. I'm sure they will pick up some points here and there. But at the moment, they're not playing well. And their inability to score goals is hurting them, as is the absence of Adam Webster in defence. He is their best defender now. He has usurped Lewis Dunk in that right. And I think he did it probably halfway through last season. He's also very important to them in terms of playing out from the back. They're hopeful he could be back for Tottenham, but they think it will probably be after the international break. So that's disappointment. Um, Adam Lalana came on at halftime, jogged about for six minutes and then went down with a hamstring injury and had to go off. So who knows what that's going to mean for them. He doesn't offer a whole lot anyway. And maybe they'll just have to commit to playing. They're actually good midfielders. Uh, for Liverpool, they are second in the table, three points behind Manchester City with the same number of games played. Liverpool have a slightly better goal difference. And what that means is that if Liverpool win each and every game from here to the end of the season, they will be crowned league champions. They have Arsenal next. Then they have Watford at home. They've got Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup just before the international break. Then City away on April 10th in a game that could define the season. Then Villa away, Everton at home, Newcastle away, Tottenham at home, Southampton away and Wolves at home. They also have to play Manchester United. That game will be rescheduled at some point. So again, a difficult enough run. The game's away to Arsenal and Manchester City are the two toughest games facing Tottenham and United home. Never easy. They do have a couple of guaranteed three points in there, such as Everton and Watford at home. But hopefully, hopefully they can keep this up and at least keep the title race going. At least keep it interesting. Uh, moving on then, we had Brentford 2, Burnley nil. This was a fairly tight game. Brentford had the better chances. But Burnley had good chances as well. Dwight McNeil had a good chance. He made an absolute mess of a diving header. Max Cornet got put through 1v1 with the keeper after a loose ball by Rico Henry. He should have scored, but Brentford had a good chance for Janelt. The first goal is a stunning header by Ivan Tony after a great cross by Christian Eriksen, who played very, very well. The second goal is a penalty again by Tony. Eriksen plays him through. Nathan Collins chases back, clatters into him, doesn't make any attempt to play the ball. Red card for Collins, penalty for Brentford, and Tony steps up and slots at home with absolutely no issue. Absolute no regard for the goalkeeper at all. He is a brilliant penalty taker, 
And this is a massive, massive win for Brentford. Big, big blow for Burnley, who would have been targeting this game as one to take points from. But Brentford are now eight points clear of the bottom three. And you'd have to imagine that one more win probably keeps them up. After looking so poor and looking like it really may catch up to them, back-to-back wins over Norwich and Burnley. And I said they had to take a minimum of four points from the next three games. They've taken six points. And I think they're going to be fine. They've got Leicester next away. Then they play Chelsea away. Then West Ham at home. Then Watford away. That's one I think they'll target to win. Then they get Tottenham at home. Manchester United away. Southampton at home. I think that's potentially a point for them. Everton away, potentially a victory. And then Leeds at home on the final day. And that could be an interesting game. But it may not matter to either side by then. Neither team might have any concerns when that one rolls around. We'll have to wait and see. For Burnley, look, they're they're 19th. They do have two games in hand on Watford. They're a point behind Watford and Everton. They've played a game more than Everton. They have Southampton at home, Man City at home, Norwich away, West Ham away, Wolves at home, Watford away, Villa at home, Tottenham away, and then Newcastle at home. There's a couple of games missing there. That's nine. They have 11 left. They do have to play Everton. That wants to be rescheduled. For the life of me, I can't remember who the other game is. But they've got 11 games left. There are winnable games there. Norwich is winnable. Watford is winnable. Everton is winnable. If it comes down to that final day of the season at home to Newcastle, Newcastle are going to be safe. So maybe, maybe that's winnable as well. The way Newcastle are playing at the minute, it's not. But by then, we'll wait and see. I still think Burnley will stay up. I still think they'll stay up. The two teams above them just look so poor right now. Now, admittedly, Watford won at the weekend. Uh, Villa is the other one. Thanks, Guy. Villa is the other game that Burnley have. Admittedly, Watford won at the weekend, so they're going to make a fight of it. But Everton just don't look like they'll make a fight of it. Uh, Moving on then, Manchester United 3, Tottenham 2. A hat-trick for Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Having been signed in August, he finally graced us with his presence, which is nice. The first on 12 is an absolute stunner. Strike from about 25 yards out that arrows into the net. Now, if I'm being critical, Eric Dyer, get your act together. Go and press that ball. What are you doing? He's not going to dribble past you. Go and pressure that ball. Don't back off. And certainly don't duck out of the way of the shot. Carrodus in, in its finest. Harry Kane equalized on 35 with a penalty after Alex Tellez handled Kulosevsky's cross. Eric Dyer himself should have equalized before that with a, a header that was cleared off the line, but a fairly weak header. Uh, Cristiano made it 2-1 two, two, three minutes later. 
again, it's a good goal, but again, if you're being critical, Regulon, two yards behind the rest of the defensive line, while looking across the line, absolute schoolboy stuff. It's Tellez' ball over the top. Sancho runs on. If Regulon is stood up with the rest of the line, Sancho's offside, but Regulon plays him on. Sancho squares it. Cristiano taps it home. Very good goal for United. Well worked. Uh, Harry Maguire with an own goal on 72, tied it up again. Good work from Christian Romero to progress the ball towards the United penalty area. It goes wide, cross from Regulon. It's going to Romero, and Maguire puts it through the back of his own net. Now, some people have led a narrative that he didn't need to touch the ball, that Romero was offside. Romero was behind the ball, so there's no way he was offside. You can't be offside if you're coming from behind the ball. So uh, Maguire did have to try and make some sort of interception, interjection, whatever you want to classify it as. But either way, he doesn't do it very well. He puts it through his own net. But nine minutes later, United get a corner. I don't know what Matt Doherty's doing. It's really poor marking at the set piece. I don't know why Spurs have left Cristiano 1v1 in that sort of area, knowing how prolific he is in the air. He attacks the ball well. It's a great header. Gives Lloris no chance. And it's 3-2. And Manchester United have a massive three points. Big, big blow for Spurs. Big, big blow for Spurs, this one. That was a game they really had to target to win. And they've made an abomination of it. Coming up for Spurs... They've got Brighton in the week, then West Ham at home, then Newcastle at home, Villa away, Brighton at home, Brentford away, Leicester at home, Liverpool away. Last two games, Burnley home, Norwich away. You'd imagine Spurs should win both of those, but who knows? Who knows with this team? There's also one other game they have to play. They've got 11 left as well. Um, for United, their fifth, they went fourth after the win, but Arsenal have jumped them again. It's a concern that United have conceded 40 goals uh, this season, considering how many expensive defenders they have and the fact that they've only scored 48, so they're not exactly uh, a free-flowing attacking team. Um, they have nine games left. They've played among the most in the division. And United's games are Liverpool away. That's going to be rescheduled. Leicester at home, Everton away, Norwich at home. Then the big one for them, April 23rd, Arsenal away. That's going to be huge. Brentford home, Brighton away. Chelsea home is another big one. And then Crystal Palace away on the final day. It's a difficult run-in. They've got three of the current top four. A trip to Palace will be difficult. A trip to Brighton will be difficult. But they're still very much in the mix. Even with Arsenal having the games in hand and the point advantage, United are still very much in the mix to finish fourth. Moving to Sunday's games then. Only three games on a Saturday was weird. Uh, moving to Sunday, Chelsea won, Newcastle nil. Kai Havertz with an absolutely magnificent goal 
on 89 is it first touch to bring down that pass from Jorginho is the best first touch you're going to see all season. On the run, kills the ball dead and then flicks at home on a half volley. Sensational goal. Now, there's a question mark of whether he should have been on the pitch to do that. He caught Dan Byrne with what looked like a fairly blatant elbow earlier in the game. VAR didn't give anything. But if it had been a red card, I don't think he should have had any complaints. Newcastle will feel very hard done by here, and they're probably right to. Um, Jacob Murphy should have had a penalty. He beats Chalaba down the left, goes into the box. Chalaba has a handful of his shirt and twice kicks out towards the ball, misses both times, and the second time he takes Murphy down. The referee gives a corner, and this is why I think the VAR didn't tell him to overturn it. Referee gave a corner. So I think the referee's view was Chalaba got the ball. And from the referee's angle, it does kind of sort of look like he did. If he'd given a goal kick, I would bet substantial sums that it would have been overturned and it would have been a penalty. But because he gives a, a corner, I don't think it's, it's classed as a clear and obvious error from his perspective, from where he's standing. Remember, that's what it's all about. It's about the referee's viewpoint. Let's see if Dale Johnson has put up his uh, VAR thread as yet. Da, 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 da. Um, no, no, nothing from Dale today uh, on the VAR thread. So he's a little bit late. He hasn't tweeted in five days, to be fair. So maybe he's away. If he puts one up today, I'll, I'll go through it tomorrow and see what he says. Um yeah, I think Newcastle can feel aggrieved. I think they did a very good job at matching Chelsea. Forced Mendy into two good saves. Now, at the same time, Chelsea did miss a couple of good chances. Uh, Havertz hit the crossbar. He had a, a, save, a header saved when he really should have scored. I thought Havertz was really good in this game. Despite the, the loose elbow, I, I did think he played really, really well. Uh, I like seeing Chelsea play 4-3-3. I just wish that he played Pulisic over Zayic. Because I think you, I think when you play Zayic and, and Havertz, you become a bit one-paced. Um, but all said, Newcastle's form has been really good recently. And despite this being a defeat, they carried that good form in. They played well. And I think they'll leave that game not just confident, but with a bit of a chip on their shoulder as well, feeling that they were that they were robbed. They go to Everton on Thursday, and I expect them to win. Uh, they also play Palace at home. That one's to be rescheduled because of Palace in the FA Cup. They get Tottenham away, Wolves at home, Leicester home, Norwich away, Liverpool home, City away, Arsenal home. That's a tough run. Um, and then Burnley away on the last day. So their last four are very, very difficult. But luckily for them, they are they are well clear now. They're nine points clear of the, the bottom three. 
And they've got a couple of winnable games coming up. So you'd expect that Newcastle will be fine. They may even get the vaunted 40 points just to confirm all things safety. Um, credit to Eddie Howe. He really has turned things around. Now, Chelsea were a long way short. They're best in this game, but they won't care because all that matters to them is the three points uh, coming up for Chelsea. Obviously, Lille and then Chelsea, Lille and then Middlesbrough. Lille in the Champions League, Middlesbrough in the uh, FA Cup. They've got Brentford home, Southampton away, Leeds away, uh, West Ham home, Everton away, Wolves home, Manchester United away, and Watford home. There are obviously uh, two other games to be rescheduled there. I just for the life of me couldn't tell you what they are. Because I can't be bothered looking it up, really. To be to be fair, that's that's what it is. I just can't actually be bothered looking it up. I'm sure I could find it quite easily, but I just can't be bothered. Uh, we'll move on to uh, Saturday's second game. We'll go Leeds 2, Norwich 1. Very, very dramatic ending to this one. Leeds were clearly the better team. Clearly the better team in this game. Hit the post twice, Rafinha both times. Once with a free kick, once when he should do better on a half volley. They missed a couple of big chances, but they did go one up through Rodrigo. It's a hopeful ball upfield by Lorente. Kabak deals well with it, and then Norwich don't deal well with the second ball. Dan James breaks on to a chest in front of him, and Rodrigo just nips it and steals it off him. And his deflected shot finds its way into the back of the net. From there, it was just about Leeds missing good chances. Norwich had their own moments, there's no question, but it was. It felt like it was all Leeds, and it felt like they were going to blow it, and it looked like they had blown it when Kenny McLean scored on 91 after great work from Timo Pukki, and you thought Leeds had squandered yet another, another opportunity. But, but, 94 minutes, hopeful ball upfield, Joe Gellhart gets up, does brilliantly, directs his header perfectly into the path of Rodrigo, uh, Rafinha. Rather. He beats the defender, he runs the keeper, he pushes it a little bit too wide, but he cuts it back, doesn't look, just cuts it back to the edge of the six-yard box, knowing that someone's travelling in. It's Gelhart. it's a massive moment. Ellen Road erupts. You can see in the celebrations what it means to each and every one of the players and staff it's a brilliant moment for Leeds. It's a massive, massive win. It's a game they had to win. You don't get many games at home to Norwich and, and the like. So you've got to pick up points when you play the team at the bottom of the table. And Leeds just have to pick up points no matter who they're against. These were three huge points. And they give them a little bit of breathing room there. Four points clear of Everton and, and Watford. Admittedly, Everton do have three games in hand. But Watford have played the same amount of games. So they have that little bit of breathing room. Nine games left for Leeds. Wolves away, Southampton at home. With Saints current form, that's winnable. Watford away, that's winnable. Win both of those, you should be fine. Chelsea home, Palace away, City away. No, sorry, City at home, Arsenal away. Brighton at home and then Brentford away. It's a tough run. It is a tough run, but there are winnable games there. 
there's potentially nine points from Southampton, Watford and Brentford, but your away form is going to have to improve. But look, they've given themselves a bit of breathing room and a bit of a, a, a good fighting chance, a good fighting chance. For Norwich, they're done. They're done. There's just there's no real point in talking about them anymore. Um, bottom of the table, five points from the safety line. And with their goal difference, you might as well say six. Uh, they're four points from Burnley, who currently sit in 19th. They've played two games more than Burnley, three more than Everton, the same amount as Watford and Leeds, yet they're nine points behind Leeds. Watford are, Norwich rather, are done. They have nine games left. Um, eight of them are Brighton away, Burnley home, United away, Newcastle home, Villa away, West Ham home, Wolves home, and Tottenham away. A Tottenham home as well, sorry. It's actually a very, very tough run. It really is a tough run. Even if they beat Burnley, you don't really fancy them to get much of anything from the other games. They don't play now till the 2nd of April. That's a long old break. It's a long old... Maybe they need it, though, because they've lost five in a row. But they're done. They're done. They've conceded too many goals. They've lost too many games. They just don't have the fight that you need when it comes to a relegation scrap. They just don't have it. It's not in the squad, unfortunately. It's a shame because they play nice football. There's a lot of good players there, but it just hasn't worked for them this year. I will say that kid, John Lowe, who continues to come off the bench, every single time I see him play, he offers something. He offers a spark. He hit the crossbar. Now, I think it would have been ruled out for offside anyway. But every single game that I've seen him play in the league this season, which, which to be fair, is all his league games this season. I don't know about cup games, but he has been really, really impressive. Really, really impressive. I'm a little bit surprised that he's not getting a start at the minute because of how well he's playing. And it's not like there's a load of lads at Norwich who would keep him out of the team. It's not like there's a load of lads playing exceptionally well who warrant the start over him. So he's only 18. He is he is a bright, bright prospect. Bright, bright prospect. One last thing on that game, actually, and it's only just occurred to me. Um, Norwich were awarded a penalty in the game when Ailing kind of threw himself in on Rashika. He doesn't make contact. Rashika stands on his leg and falls over. It's not a penalty. It's rightly overturned. But there's another Ailing on Rashika tackle in the game that really should have been a red card. And it's only just popped back into my head now. He's high and he's late and he catches him well above the ankle. It really, really should have been a red card. And I, I don't even think he got booked for it, did he? Did he get booked? He did get booked, so maybe it's for that. But yeah, it should have been a red card. It should have been a red card. Anyway, moving on. Everton nil, Wolves won. The misery just piles on for Everton, especially when it's Connor Cody 
boyhood Liverpool fan, former Liverpool player, scoring the winning goal on 49. Brilliant cross by Ruben Neves. Brilliant header by Cody. Pickford has no chance, not with those little arms. Everton had some moments in the game. Richarlison had a couple of decent chances, uh, one in each half. But aside from that, not a whole lot came from the Ev. John Joe Kenny sent off on 78 minutes, had already been booked, left a foot in late on Raul Jimenez, gets the second yellow and off he goes. Wolves were the better team, dominated the ball, twice as many shots, more shots on target. They just outright a better team and Everton are awful. And Frank Lampard continues to show why I said he was the worst manager in the Premier League. The worst manager in the Premier League. And I don't even think it's all that close, to be completely frank with you. Um, the Ev, 17th, four defeats in a row. They do have three games in hand. That's, that's their sort of life raft. They have three games in hand. Three in hand on Watford, three in hand on Leeds, one in hand on Burnley. But that's it. That's what they've got to cling to. They have Newcastle at home in the week. I expect them to lose. Then they play in the FA Cup against Crystal Palace. Then they play West Ham away. Then they play Manchester United at home. So I think you're looking at three more defeats in the Premier League. Then they were due to play Palace in the Premier League. That's been postponed now because one of them will be in the FA Cup semi-finals. Then they play Liverpool away. Then they play Chelsea at home. They play Leicester away. Brentford at home. They also have Watford away at some point in this. Uh, They've got Arsenal away on the final day of the season. And there's Burnley away and two of the games that I can't think of. No, one of the one of the game I can't think of. Um Leicester. I think it's Leicester twice, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's Leicester twice. They haven't played Leicester this season. So Newcastle, Watford, West Ham, Manchester United, Palace, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester twice, Brentford and Arsenal. I mean, raise your hand if you're seeing a bunch of points for them. I, I don't think they beat Watford away. They might beat Brentford at home. But aside from that, where are the points coming from? It's very hard to see them beating Newcastle on current form. West Ham and United are just much better teams than them, as are Liverpool and Chelsea. Leicester are a mixed bag and you just don't know what you'll get from them. But they've got to play them twice. So maybe they split those games. Maybe they split those games. But Arsenal will wallop them on the last day of the season. So maybe they get six points between here and the end of the season. Is that enough? Is 28 points going to be enough? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But if they stay up, it'll be because of the ineptitude of the other teams, not because of anything good that they've done. Uh, For Wolves, they're in seventh back-to-back wins. They stay in the mix for top four. They have uh, three games more played than Arsenal, and they're five points behind. They're four behind United, who've played the same number of games as them. Two behind West Ham, who've played the same number of games. But European football is still very much alive for them. 
Uh, they have Leeds on Friday night, should be a good one. Then they get Aston Villa on the 2nd of April. They're both at home. Then it's Newcastle away, City at home, Burnley away, Brighton at home, Chelsea away, Norwich home, Liverpool away. So three tough games out of those last six, but three winnable ones as well. They should get something against Newcastle. They should beat the other two teams at home. So they'll be right in the mix up until the end. They're a fun team. I really do like watching Wolves this season under Bruno Lage. Uh, moving on, West Ham 2, Aston Villa 1. The moment of the weekend is the first goal here. It's a clip ball in from Ben Rama. It's a good first touch and a fairly well-hit volley that maybe the keeper should do a little bit better with. But Andre Yarmolenko puts West Ham 1 up. The stadium erupts, including the Villa fans, which I thought was really good. The Villa fans rose to applaud this goal because Yarmolenko, obviously Ukrainian, going through a lot right now. It's an incredibly emotional time from he burst into tears and you, you had to just feel for him what he's going through, what's got to be racing through his mind all the time as his country continues to suffer this unprovoked attack by the Russian president, who is nothing more than a scumbag, and his military forces. Um, Pablo Fornals made it two on 82 minutes, does well to get on the end of a Ben Rama ball, but it's great work by Declan Rice, who wins the ball, then leaves John McGinn flailing on the floor for whatever reason John McGinn chooses to be on the floor, carries the ball forward, feeds Ben Rama, Ben Rama finds Fornals. It's a really good goal, a really, really good goal for West Ham. And then Jacob Ramsey makes it 2-1 on 90. Uh, great work by Buendia, but you'd have to ask why Kurt Zuma is allowing himself to get bullied by Emi Buendia, who has the upper body strength of a catwalk model. Uh, but he feeds um, Ramsey on the edge of the box. And it's a glorious finish, really good goal. West Ham were good value for their win. Emmy Martinez made probably the save of the season from a Zuma header. And I don't know how Craig Dawson misses the follow-up, but he does. But West Ham were good value for the win. A uh, little, bit, little, little bit of a bump down to earth there for Villa, who'd obviously won three in a row. Uh, for the Hammers, they are sixth, three points behind Arsenal, but they have played three games more. They've got Tottenham away, Everton home, Brentford away, Burnley home. So, I mean, there's, you know, potential there for at least those three, Everton, Brentford, Burnley, to win all three. Then it's Chelsea away, then Arsenal home. That's a very, very difficult back-to-back. Then Norwich home, Man City home. Sorry, Norwich away, Man City home, Brighton away. So difficult last couple of games. But there's, there's four, like, should-win games there. In fact, there's five. With, with you know, Brighton, they should beat Brighton. They should beat Brighton. They should beat Norwich. They should beat Burnley. They should beat Everton. And they should beat Brentford. But they've got to play Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, and United and City, rather. That's very, very tough. Very, very tough. Uh, for Villa, they're still ninth. They've got a game in hand on Southampton, who are a point behind them. They're nine points behind 
Spurs and Spurs with a game in hand. So ninth is about the, the ceiling for this team. But, you know, they've got a fairly favourable... No, they don't, actually. They've got a fairly favourable run before their last game. But before that, they've got to play Arsenal at home, Wolves away, Tottenham home, Liverpool home. That's a really tough four-game run. Then they go to Leicester, and that's a game they could win. Then Norwich home, Burnley away, Palace home. They should win all three of those. If they're serious about top half, they should beat Palace. Then they finish at City. So we'll find out a lot about Gerrard over the remaining 11 games or so. Um, 10 games, 10 games they've got. That's nine, so there's, a, there's one there to be filled in as well. Uh, where are we next? Southampton won, Watford two. Um, Southampton, Jesus wept. What, if someone can explain to me what Southampton are doing for that first goal, I genuinely would love to hear it. Bednarak plays a bad pass back to uh, Forster, who manages to get it back to him. Then Bednarak plays it across to Salisu, and that's fine. It's a decent pass. And then Salisu completely underhits the pass back to Forster. Hernandez nips in, goes round Forster, and finishes well. It's a good goal. Uh, 20 minutes later, he makes it two. He's just completely unmarked at the back post. Ball drops to him, and he smacks it home on the volley. Keeper can't do anything about it. Elianassi made it 2-1 just before half time. A volley that he completely mistimed and it came off his knee, but just sort of bobbled across into the far corner because the keeper was expecting a more firmly struck shot. Uh, Saints probably should have gotten something from this game. Now, Emmanuel Dennis did blow a, a decent opportunity when they were uh, 3v3. He just decided not to pass to anybody and took on a weak shot. But Ben Forster made a great save from Che Adams late on. Saints had more of the ball, a lot more shots second half. And I I did think probably warranted a point, but you're not going to deny Watford to go there and win is impressive. And I thought they were done. They continue to have a bit of life in them. Whether that lasts or not, I don't know. They have nine games left. Um, they're not the easiest nine either. They don't play again till April the 2nd. Then they've got Liverpool away. They've got Leeds at home, Brentford home. So two winnable games, potentially. Uh, they also get Watford home. Sorry, they get uh, Everton home and Burnley home. So if Watford can just win their home games, they should be fine. Even if they lose to, say, Leicester, if they could win three of those other four, they'd probably be all right. They could beat what beat Everton and beat Burnley. And then win one of the other two against uh, Leeds or Brentford and maybe take a point. That'll be 32 points. And that probably keeps them up. Now it's Hodgson. So you're probably looking at four draws. They've also got Man City away, which is tough, obviously. Palace away, which is tough. And Chelsea away, which is tough. But just write off those three and focus in on, write off those three in Liverpool away and focus in on your home games. You've got five home games left. Win three of them and get a point in one of the other ones. And you should actually potentially be fine. They, Watford have the most favourable run-in because despite playing Liverpool, Chelsea and City, they also play most of the bad teams, bar Norwich, at home. 
Good win at the weekend. Very, very good win at the weekend. Last game then, Arsenal 2, Leicester 0. Leicester were just desperate. They are just desperate. Arsenal should have put six past them. They, they just, they can't defend at all. They particularly can't defend set pieces. Thomas Partey makes it one on 11 minutes. A free header while standing on the edge of the six-yard box. Completely free header. No one challenges him from a set piece. Absolutely shocking. Uh, Lacazette made it two on 59 from the penalty spot. Sayunchu sort of stuck a hand out to block a shot that was going in. Didn't manage to block it, but just took enough of the pace off it that it, it got cleared. And thankfully enough, the VAR picked it up and it was given as a penalty. Um, I, I just, I can't get, get my head around how bad Leicester were, were and are. I can't get my head around Rodgers deciding to leave Tielemans and Ndidi on the bench. Maybe he's got his eyes on the Europa Conference League. Uh, but when you come out and say you don't know what a competition is, Brendan, you can't then try and spin it like winning it would be some great achievement. Um, they do play Ren in midweek, and maybe he's just focused in on that one, but I'm not buying it at all. Um, they get Ren, then they get Brentford at home, United away, Palace home, Newcastle away, Villa home, Tottenham away, Everton home, Watford away, and then Southampton at home on the final day. I think Leicester are going to finish in the bottom half. I just think they're so bad defensively that they can't string the results together. That was appalling. They've also got to play Everton a second time, which is the game that's missing there. Um, They're just so, so bad. Now, look, credit to Arsenal. It's a very good win. They played some lovely football. And that's five wins in a row. They beat Wolves away. They beat uh, Brentford home, Wolves home, Watford away. So it's not exactly been a murderer's row. Uh, they've got a much tougher stretch coming up now. and We'll, we'll see uh, some of what they're made of. They play Liverpool in the week. Then they play Villa at the weekend away. That will be tough. Then there's the international break. Then they come back and it is Palace away, Brighton home, Southampton away, United home, West Ham away, Leeds home, Newcastle away, Everton home. They've also got Tottenham away and I want to say Chelsea away as well. So that's not an easy run-in at all. Not an easy run-in at all. They have to play the teams in first, no, sorry, in second, third, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And all, all bar two are away, four of them are away from home. That's going to be really tough. That's going to be really tough. That's a very difficult run-in. So while they're twerking over their games in hand, just remember that the games in hand are Chelsea and Spurs. You know, they've, they've got the hardest run-in by considerable distance of any of the top clubs. Um, but they are fourth, and credit to them. They're still not very good, but they play good football. They're still soft, but 
they're getting away with it. And Arteta is Ollie with a tan. Just remember, Ollie with a tan. That's what he is. I'm going to take a break before I start insulting people. Um, and I'll be back to do the gossip. And that's basically all we have for today. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So some things I want to bring to your attention, some articles on the BBC Sport website. Uh, there is a piece about Yarmolenko and his goal and just the, you know some comments from him as well worth your while. There is an article about Chelsea and speaking to some of their fans and a lot of them just saying, look, if we, if we go back to being a small-time club, so be it, as long as we have a club. And that's a great attitude to take. Uh, Arsenal obliged to be in the Champions League, says Arteta. Yeah, sounds like he might be getting a little bit too big for his boots. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has pledged that he will be at Chelsea until the end of the season, at least. And that's that's fair. Uh, there's a piece about Everton and could this be the season they go down. There's a, a thing entitled, did Ronaldo convince Brady to come out of retirement, which is just mindless. So a couple of things. We all know, like, Tom Brady's a little bit of an odd fellow. And he is the greatest quarterback of all time. But he is now coming out of retirement after about 40 days in retirement. And he is coming back, he says, to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I still think he's probably trying to wangle a trade to get himself to San Francisco. But it's neither here nor there. But he was at the Manchester United game at the weekend. Now, the obvious reason for him to be there is that he plays currently for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are owned by the Glazer family, who also own Manchester United. And it may well be that he was there having conversations with some of the Glazers. If that's the likely story that, that is here. But Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, scores the hat-trick. And people want to make it seem like, well, Brady was retired until he saw what Cristiano was doing. Uh, Brady is substantially older and substantially greater at what he does than what Cristiano does. Brady is 44 years of age. Um, Cristiano, as we know, is one of the five weirdest people in the world. Just a proper oddball. And without question, the biggest ego in the history of the game. Like, the guy makes Yo Yo uh, Johan Cruyff look humble. He makes Zlatan look like a normal fellow. And he tweets something about, you know, one ghost to another. The fact that he calls himself that just shows that he's a prick. He is a prick. He's an egotistical prick. He is not the greatest of all time. He's not even in the conversation as the greatest of all time. You can have a conversation he's the greatest goal scorer ever until you realize that Messi is actually a better goal scorer than them as well. And that if you look at per game averages, there's quite a few who are better goal scorers than him. And people will say, oh, he's the most combined goals for club and country. Grand, he's got two more goals at club level than Messi in about 100. It's, it's 88 more, game, uh, more games. So two goals in 100, basically 90 games, whatever. Messi will comfortably overtake him again. And in terms of internationals, you can't really compare them. Because South Americans tend to play far more competitive qualifiers 
for their international tournaments. Whereas European countries play dross. Like every time Portugal are put into a group, they get one good team and then either three or four average or worse teams. And often two of them are dreadful. So stat padding galore going on. But anyway, yeah, the freak tweeting out calling himself the GOAT. What an absolute oddball. Definitely the the only people weirder than him are the f- weird freaks that like fawn over him. And the weirdos that fawn over Neymar, though I imagine there's a lot of crossover between those two groups. I had a fella tell me the other day that Neymar has carried Brazil. Neymar apparently has been cursed to have the worst Brazilian team ever around him, which, you know, it's an interesting take. There's certainly no truth to it at all. And the funniest part of it is Neymar has been playing for Brazil since 2010. Since 2010, Brazil have not won a World Cup, obviously. Uh, they have not won a Copa America. Oh, no, wait, they have won a Copa America. They won one in 2019 when Neymar was injured and not in the squad. So with Neymar, quarterfinals, quarterfinals, group stage, then he's out of the squad and all of a sudden they win it. And you want to tell me it was the worst squad ever? They won it without him. Without him. And yet they haven't won it with him. They did get to a final. They did get to a final this past year. And they lost to Argentina. And in that final, Neymar played and was awful. Absolutely awful. So, what's the excuse from there? Anyway, I've I've lost the run of myself. Let's move to the gossip and get that done and get out of here for the day. Uh, Manchester City have a deal in place to sign Erling Haaland. No, they don't. Manchester United hope to name their permanent manager by the end of April. Would make sense, but I don't know that you'll get a commitment from Ten Hag by then. Maybe Pochettino, but not from Ten Hag by then. The Red Devils have made an inquiry about signing Lyon's French forward, Moussa Dembele. No, they haven't. Paris Saint-Germain are set to sack Maurizio Pochettino, but it's unclear whether they will do it now or wait till the end of the season. It looks like they're about to do a bit of a a clearing house exercise there. Rumours that they want Neymar out, which would make sense. Rumours that Leonardo is set to go as well. And Bappe, we know, is almost certainly gone. Uh, there needs to be a, a bit of a spring clean from top to bottom. Just get rid of a lot of the overpriced, over-expensive, high-earning dross that doesn't really offer a whole lot of much most weeks. The likes of Ramos. What are you paying him half a million a week for? Like, Jesus, what, lads? Leonardo's the key. Get rid of him. Get somebody competent. That's not Paratici. Paratici's not competent. Get someone good, and you've got the money to become great. Real Madrid are interested in Kieran Tierney. 
I feel like this one was around a while ago and it's just been recycled. Kylian Mbappe could sign a deal with Real Madrid within the next week. I don't feel like that's likely. I think he's probably going to wait till the end of the season. Arsenal could allow up to 13 players to leave during the transfer window. Do they even have 13 players that they could let leave? I assume this includes a bunch of kids. Uh, Mikel Arteta said the club will make a decision whether to offer Alex Lacazette a new contract at the end of the season. That's just such a bizarre approach. Uh, we're going to skip the next nonsense because it's from Romano. Uh, the Reds are Liverpool are ready to bid for Jonathan David. I wouldn't be against it. Manchester United and England winger Jaden Sancho has revealed the players from Chelsea and Liverpool tried to convince them to join their clubs. Um, I know for certain that Liverpool had interest but never made a bid for him, so I don't know how he would have gone there. Uh, Jan Bednarak and Mohamed Salisu, both of Southampton, are targets for Napoli. Salisu plays the same position as Koulibaly, so I have a tough time believing that one. Juventus are looking into the possibility of signing Antonio Rudiger. They love a free transfer. Love one. Uh, Juve are also monitoring the future of Gigi Donnarumma. Fair to say it hasn't gone ideally at PSG for him. And Juve thought they had him all along, but, you know, money spoke. Well, it spoke to me now anyway. Tottenham manager Antonio Conte says he would, considering his extending his club if the, if the club has a good vision, extending his contract if the club has a good vision. Um, show him a good vision. Show him a good vision. Barcelona have denied that Tottenham have a clause in place that would allow them to sign Coutinho for the same fee. This is nonsense. Aston Villa boss says signing Coutinho permanently is not as straightforward as people think. Yeah, because of his wages. Simple as that. Crystal Palace's on-loan midfielder, Conor Gallagher, says he's not giving any thought to his future. He's going to have offers this summer. He really is going to have offers. He, he should be trying to get a permanent move somewhere. The owners of Manchester City are keen on signing Savio of Atletico Monero. He's meant to be very talented. They, they have been snapping up a lot of young Brazilian talent of, of late. Inter Milan are looking into the option of extending Alexis Sanchez. He's done fairly well for them. He's not the Sanchez of years back, but he has been far better than he was for Man United, for example. Uh, Romelu Lukaku is willing to take a pay cut to facilitate a loan return to Inter Milan. Lukaku has been angered by the suggestions that he is trying to exploit the uncertainty at Chelsea and says he has no intention of leaving the club. So that puts that one in the bin. Uh, Juventus are targeting moves for two Italian internationals, Jorginho and Emerson Palmieri. Um, I don't really know what you'd want with Emerson Palmieri, but, you know, have at it. Barcelona are monitoring the Chelsea situation and are interested in the two Spanish internationals, Marcus Alonso and Cesar Azpilicueta. Alex Lacazette has also been targeted by Barcelona because they love people that are free because they can't afford to buy anybody. Saudi media's bid to buy Chelsea includes the plan to redevelop Stamford Bridge. Um, I don't see this one coming off. Mohamed Salah wants to stay in the Premier League if he cannot agree a new contract with Liverpool. So this is Football Insider, so you can put that one firmly in the bin. 
Manchester because Salah himself has said he wouldn't do that. Manchester United have entered the race to sign Real Sociedad's Alexander Isak. I could see him working well there. I really could. He needs a lot of development to do. I think they'd be better off going for Calvert Lewin. Isak has a much higher ceiling than him, but Calvert Lewin is closer to the finished article. Uh, Paul Pogba's personal trainer says the French midfielder will leave Manchester United when his contract expires at the end of the season, which I think we've all known for 18 months now. Newcastle are in talks to sign Sean Longstaff to a new contract. I don't know why he would, because despite the manager wanting them to sign a new contract, he hasn't barely played him. Now, maybe he's injured. I don't know. But he hasn't been injured the whole time that Howe's been there and he's barely played. Newcastle are set to rival Aston Villa for Leeds midfielder Calvin Phillips. He'll have better offers. He will just have better offers. Manchester United could make a move to bring Sam Johnston back from West Brom in the summer, former United Academy keeper. Uh, Tottenham and Southampton also interested in the 28-year-old. The interest in him seems to have dulled a little bit. Now, he is a decent goalkeeper. He's not a great keeper. He's decent, though. He's at United from, like, childhood up until 2018. Had a whole bunch of loans. Um... He's not good enough to start for Manchester United, but he could be a really good number two. Now, maybe they'll sell Dean Henderson, so therefore need a number two. Maybe they sell De Gea. Do you then commit to Henderson as your number one? In Henderson and Johnston as your one and two, they're both homegrown lads from your academy, so it would be it would be kind of admirable. But I don't know that Johnston will want to go back there and sit on the bench. Um, four England caps between them amazingly Johnson has three caps and Henderson only has one strange anyway moving on Chelsea will do a U-turn to sign Sal Niguez no they won't uh, Chelsea have pleaded with the government to lift the ban on them extending contracts no don't allow them to do it you're, you're allowing them to spend money that way Manchester United have been alerted to the possibility of Thomas Tuchel becoming available. He's... Never mind. Ajax boss Eric Ten Hag is ready to become Manchester United manager and is open to having Ralph Ranić alongside him. This is nonsense. Real Madrid want to keep Luka Modric, and so they should. He is still sensational. AC Milan have reached an agreement with Lille to sign Renato Sanchez in the summer. He'd be the ideal replacement for Kessie. I've said that before. Uh, Juan Mata could be offered a coaching role at Manchester United if he decides to retire this summer. Why would he retire? He's only 33. Go to Spain, play for another three, four years. He'd be fine. Aston Villa have an option to buy Phil Coutinho on loan. Phil Coutinho, after his loan, rather, uh, but Arsenal are also interested. No, they're not. Let's let's just put that to bed. Arsenal are not going to be interested because he, they've they've learned the lesson. You'd hope now after the Willian Willian nonsense, not the Willian nonsense with the contract. You would have to expect that Arsenal finally learned the lesson and will not give another big contract to uh, an older player. Despite Coutinho showing really good form, Arsenal are better off focusing on the young players they have and building with them. Uh, Erling Haaland 
has the priority of moving to either Real Madrid or Barcelona this summer. Yeah, I I think it will be Real. I genuinely think it will be Real. Barcelona are keen to sign Adama Traore in a permanent deal and could offer Ricky Puig as part of it. Ricky Puig would make sense, but he's not Portuguese, so I don't know if Wolves would have interest. Um, Chelsea's defender, Cesar Azpilicueta, is not free to leave this summer because a renewal clause in his contract has been triggered. That hasn't been reported anywhere by anyone reliable, so I doubt it. Uh, scouts from Manchester United, Liverpool and Newcastle have been watching Florian Verts. Florian Verts tore his ACL at the weekend, his left ACL. That is a massive blow. For me, the best young player in the world right now is Florian Verts. 18, plays like he's 28. So mature, so intelligent, great movement, good passing, creative, inventive player, scores himself goals as well. Such a shame. Uh, Angel Di Maria wants to leave PSG in the summer and could make a return to Benfica. Doubtful. Maurizio Pochettino and Kylian Mbappe are set to lead the high-profile exits from PSG in the summer. Zinedine Zidane has been tipped to replace Pochettino and is looking to sign Casemiro. Arturo Vidal is set to leave Inter Milan this summer with Flamengo interested in taking him back. South America, a lot of the bigger name South American players are heading back for their final years in Brazil. So that's it's a nice uh, it's a nice path for them to go home. Even though you know a lot of them aren't from Brazil, Vidal obviously from Chile, but still it gets them much closer to home. It's good to see more high profile players uh, back playing in South America. Juventus are willing to sell Adrian Rabio this summer as they were last summer. They probably will find a buyer if they're not asking for stupid money. Roma are planning a summer bid for Serginho Dest. He, Roma is a club more suited to him in terms of his level than, than Barcelona. The use of five substitutes in the Premier League could be reintroduced from the start of next season with a vote on the issue expected in June. It should be brought in, but I will say this. Bring it back in. Still only allow the, the three substitutes. So if you're bringing on five, you have to bring on two twos and then one, if you get what I mean, or two or two and then a three. You can't have five separate sub breaks. I would also say we need to see the nine subs become five subs plus four academy players. It needs to have some sort of priority for young players to get more players developing and get them match day action, get them you know involved in the squads, things like that. Get nine subs is fine on the bench, grand, but four of them should have to come from your academy, or at least three. At least three should have to come from your academy. And we'll leave it there. That is me for today, rambling away as I do. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Don't do anything silly. And uh, bye-bye. Sports 
Social Podcast Network.